Welcome to the newest episode of It's My Turn with Charlie Turner-Thorne. I'm Charlie Turner-Thorne, the head coach of Arizona State University Women's Basketball. In my 28 years as a head coach, I'm used to getting asked the hard questions. Talking about the pressures to win and just uh, growing leaders, never a dull moment. Now it's my turn to ask the questions while hopefully sharing a few helpful hints, insights on leadership and building a winning culture. I want to introduce the one and only Charlie Cream. And Charlie, I think we well, we first met in your hometown in Vegas at one of That's those right. uh, all-star Thanksgiving tournaments. Was it was it the year with Baylor, Texas A&M, and Gonzaga? We've been I believe yeah, I believe that was the year. That that was a stacked, yeah. high caliber event. Now, unfortunately, was, those like, things don't get seen by that many people. It's a shame because those of the, the it's at the South Point, and they they attract a a real high quality field, but it, it ends up being watched by family and friends. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> yeah, that was in two thousand nine. I, I think they're doing a better job in some of, some of these holiday tournaments of getting. Um, at least some streaming going. So, um, but um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you are in the hot seat with CTT. So um, <laughs> here, here's my, my first question. We'll start off with an easy one. I mean, you are officially the guru of college women's basketball bracketology, Charlie Cream. H- how did you get started? It's a, it's sort of a long involved story. So I'll, I'll try to, provide the cliff notes version um okay. but it it's it sort of began uh, you know I, I when i when i left college i i got into a lot of freelance college basketball writing well that brought me to um meet joe Lenardi, and at the time he was uh, the editor-in-chief of blue ribbon college basketball yearbook and part of what he wanted to do to expand that which was a just a preseason. I don't even call it a magazine. It was more of a book. It was about 350 pages of just content. And he wanted wow. it to expand it to provide a version of it that was that was just for the tournament. But this is and, and this is where the the age factor and I'm, and I'm exposing my age to to everybody listening. In that this is before the internet, so it it required that this publication be an actual publication, be something physical that was in people's hands. So it required right. a lot of writing ahead of time, um, which which we did. So the the first year we did it, we cranked it out. It, it got in the mail. Everybody got it on time. It was great. Second year, the selection show comes on, and two teams, uh, Santa Clara and Manhattan, the, the the we did not foresee being in the tournament, or Joe did not foresee being in the tournament, were announced as at large teams, and we had not written their their stories yet. So we had to quickly hustle and get that done because the, in order for everybody to get the, the book in their hand by Tuesday afternoon to have it be relevant by Thursday when the game started, uh, they needed to get to the, to the printers and, and then out to FedEx that night. Right. So we, we cranked them out, and then he made the declaration that this is never, ever going to happen again. I need to do a better job at forecasting these teams. I need to learn the process <laughs> better. So he started learning the process. Took it to, and with me kind of by his side um, during the, the next few years, and he and then the internet did become a thing. He decided this was worth 
exploring in a, in a grander way than just, just writing a, a publication, put a website together. Uh, some years after that, ESPN decided that they loved the content, bought him out, hired him, and then a year or two later inquired about doing him doing one for the women. And he didn't have the time or the background to do it. But it, it just so happened I had left him at this point. I was doing television in Bangor, Maine, and, I, and the, one of the primary teams I covered was the women's basketball team, which is an America East powerhouse at the time. And so when ESPN came calling, inquiring about bracketology for women, he referred them to me saying, I, my, this is my guy, this is the guy you want. And, right. and that's kind of how, that's kind of how I started. It was sort of my, my background in bracket in brackets in my, yeah. my more extensive background in women's basketball than Joe had. And, uh, and then we, we started and started pretty small. It wasn't, wasn't anything that caught much notoriety in the very beginning, but I, obviously it's grown quite a bit. And I think that's part and parcel to the game itself growing a lot as well. And, uh, and it's just been a great ride. That wasn't yeah, exactly a cliff notes version of the story, but, but, no, but it was, that's, that, we needed to, that was, that's a great story. Yes. I, I, I really was like, Hmm, how did this start? So I don't, I, I doubt anybody would have, would have guessed that. So, I mean, you, you have, um, you know, do you have a method for really evaluating so many teams, you know, watching so many games? Um, you know, it, it, it's a lot. I mean, <laughs> I was doing mock bracketing and one of the committee members was like, yeah, sometimes we watch three games at one time. And I'm thinking, okay, I watch one game at one time and I rewind every play five times. So, you know, <laughs> I, but, you know I'm preparing for that team, right? It's a little different. Uh, but still, I think to really know and kind of, you know, see a team, it, it's, it's a lot. So what is, what is your process, Charlie? It's, it's watching a lot of games. It's having a lot of devices, much, much like the person you were talking to. There'll, there'll be Sundays where I'll have a phone, an iPad and two laptops and a TV kind of working all at once. Now, admittedly, that's not the best way to really digest the nuances of every team. But I've also I'm also recording as many of these games as I can. Okay. And and, yeah. and many of them I'll go back and and watch portions of again. Like oh I didn't really that was a key part of the game, or man I really wanted that fourth quarter because I was watching two other games I really didn't sink my teeth into it. But look how it look how it came out. Let me go back right. and watch that fourth quarter again, and and I'll do that pretty that's pretty much a steady diet of what I do throughout the season. Sundays are the, obviously wow. the big days because, you know, the, you, you're playing and, the, and everybody in the Pac-12 is playing, the SEC is playing, ACC is playing. And Thursday and Friday nights are big. Obviously, Friday nights are a big Pac-12 night. So, so right. those, those Thursday, Friday, Sunday are, are often my real big volume nights and days. Um, right. And, but I said, I'm, and I'm rec- if, I'm, if I'm not able to watch a game live, I'm recording and I'm, there's a lot of 2 a.m. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> Minnesota Purdue. Let's 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 check out at least some of this to see if these these two teams are are worth getting into the conversation. So it's there's a, there's a lot of that too. Now, do you have your own like synergy account, or do you get any of the you know kind of the have any of the software that we have? So because we can get you know we can get any game anytime we want. Um, if you don't, we'll have to. We won't, we won't, we won't delve into that on this podcast, but I probably can help you a little bit. So you're not having to actually try to record games because we, we definitely have access to every game. 
Well, that's see, that's 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 another step in the right direction for me. Um, <laughs> well, I, I have the I have a direct TV package with every known sports station um, under the sun, and every streaming service that I can possibly get my hands on. And and I'm and, I, and in some cases I'm stealing passwords from other people to right. to grab another streaming service if there's a game that I'm like, oh, I don't have, I somehow I don't have access to this game. I've got it. I've got to be able to see this game. So there's uh, there, there's there's quite a bit of that going on too. But anything to make it easier, um, I'm 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 game. I'm all for it. So okay, well, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to talk <laughs> about that. Um, big topic I want to bring up. We have to talk about the net, right? Net and net has replaced the RPI as one of the major determinants of NCAA selection. They'll say there's all these criteria, but I mean I've been in those mock rooms and you know they constantly want to go back to these. Um, Flawed formulas. I'm going to say it. So um, can you share with our listeners how the net is different from the RPI, Charlie? I mean, I know you're pretty versed in it, even though it is new and, you know, it's, we're going to be working through it for, you know, a number of years, but what do you like? What do you don't like? Um, do you think it helps the power five teams? You know, I mean, we're, we're playing a brutal schedule, right? Game in and game out 20 plus games against top, top competition um, is is this formula going to reward teams in Power Five conferences? To, to answer that question, yeah, I, I, I think it does. I think because it, it it still has not using the RPI formula necessary, but but it still has the concept of you play better teams, your 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 numerical value is is going to be benefited. So there's still that element that the RPI had where you play a better schedule or you play a, you, you play, you, you kind of work the schedule a little bit. It's, it's going to help your net rating. And I think it, this last season wasn't a great example, I think, of what the net will ultimately provide just because of the, the you know, the erratic nature of, of everybody's schedule. I, I, but I think well, if, if you look, if you look at it, you'll notice that it, there were fewer I guess what everybody would refer to as an anomaly. Like, how does that team, like we would see that in the RPI just about every year in, in multiples where how is that team number, you know, number 15, that doesn't make any sense to my eyes, to any normal way we evaluate basketball. It, you, you're still going to see that in the net. And I, and, but I think yeah. less and less so as I, we get into next year when the, when everybody is okay. playing. So although, you know, all the, the, the power five schools are playing their full schedules of non-conference and you add into the, you know, the fact that they're playing 18 to 20 games, maybe against for the most part, top level competition as well. We still saw some anomalies this year with, you know, I like Stephen F Austin, not a bad team and, you know, certainly a tournament worthy team, but they were, I think 20 in the net by the end of the year. And, and I think by anybody's estimation, that was probably a little high. Um, right. So there's, there's, there's always going to be that, yeah, that little thing say, here I mean, and there that you see. Go go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely saw some, even like with BCS teams, you know, like we, I saw a top team, but they didn't have, when I say a top team, I mean, they're, you know, were nationally ranked, but they did not even have a quadrant one win, but they had a net of 10, you know, so. Yeah. It's, it's it's all interesting to me. So I think yeah, there's always going to be some outliers. What do you think? I of think the it's an improvement. Efficiency part. 
Well, I think that's great. That, and I think that's the addition that when you get offensive and defensive efficiency quotient to add it into it, because it, because really what the RPI gave us was a lot of the what and then the who, like who did you play and what happened? Well, with the net and the offensive and defensive efficiency ratings, you get a how to some, I mean, you can't, it's hard to put a numerical value on a how, but this is, I guess, is as close as we're going to get, at least for the, for the time being, until someone a lot smarter than myself comes up with a better way to, of evaluating that. But, you know, you, you get basically this, you know, you, you, play in a, uh, you play a 92 to 90 game and, and you lose, um, you still, it still grades out pretty well because you've got an offensive efficiency. It doesn't grade out your defensive efficiency very well necessarily, but it'll grade out your offensive efficiency. It plugs that into the formula. And it's, it's not just a loss. Whereas with the RPI, that was just a loss. And, you know, so numerically you didn't really get any credit for playing really, really well, scoring, scoring well, running, running smooth offense. And and conversely, the same thing. If you play a a 51 to 50 game and you, you because your defense was great that day, not necessarily because the other team just couldn't throw the ball in the ocean, but you really played quality defense you get rewarded for that and and i think that's an important uh, element and i think it's a it's a welcome ad- addition because you, you, as i said you get the the how did the team play yeah that, and yeah. and it may it's not really be perfect but i think it's a it's a it's definitely a step in the right direction it's it's progress from the rpi i think once we see it really fully utilized i think most people will will, will see that i like it i like when you add offensive and, and defensive efficiency in, into the mix uh, because then it's not thing, just. Yeah, sorry. I, I was just going to say one thing that I did not understand that I recently learned about the efficiency that I'll share with our listeners, just in case, you know, like they look at the offensive efficiency differently if we're playing, you know, kind of maybe a low D1 team and we score 80 versus if we play one of the top defensive teams in our conference and we score 60. And I really like that, Charlie, because yeah. you know, as being like the top defensive conference in the nation, I mean, like four of our five teams are, you know, top in you know, defense efficiency. Like I was worried that we would be penalized with the offensive efficiency, but they do actually take into account, you know, what team you're playing, which I, to, is to your point, it's more like they, they get a better feel for how good you are. And it's not just these random numbers. So I exactly, and it puts that's very good. It, One thing I don't sort of like a, about it. Oh, though, oh okay. yeah, I see. This is what, what this is what we all have to hear, though. What coaches don't like about it because well, I mean, we, I don't like we the, need to be the, open to the, tweaking the, things. Right, and you know, I think the running up the score. You know, like I, I just feel like you know playing your bench. You know, is like I'm something I've always done, I, and I, I I brag about it in recruiting that I'd rather beat someone by 15. And, and spread out my minutes and develop my team versus beat somebody by 25 or 30 and keep it at, at a seven to eight player rotation. But now, I mean, when, and if I do that, and I usually still do that, we're getting penalized because there's no, like, you know, if at the five minute mark, you're up 25, you know, boom, the efficiency stops, you know, if you're rated from there and then your bench play doesn't hurt your efficiency, like that would be so much better for the game. Because, I mean, I know fans, I mean, they're fine with people running up the score. But personally, I don't think 
it's the right thing to do. But that's, that's yeah, and I, so I would agree with that. Uh, it, and yeah. and it's, 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 it'll be, you know, as we move forward with this, if, if someone can figure out a way to, to, to kind of, you know, tweak the formula, but I think they've done a good job at least of, a, a you know, putting the strength of schedule element to the how part, as I said, right. and, and I think, you know, as I said, we've made, I think it's, it's definitely taken things to a, a more accurate assessment of teams. And, and then the running up the score thing, that is where watching games and, and understanding what happened in the course of those 40 minutes is important. And that's why myself and committee members, and, you know, have to watch a lot of games, have to get a feel for that. You, you're not going to pick up on everything and all of that necessarily, but if you're, you, if you're, if you can't just look at box scores and and right. then, and make evaluations about this. You have to understand that some games have different context than others. Very, very well said. Okay, Charlie, we're gonna we're we're already a little longer than I said I would keep you. So just one big kind of overarching question, if you don't mind. I mean, this past year was obviously extremely challenging for all of us. Um, what was your greatest challenge and or just takeaway either personally or professionally from this last year? Uh, wow. From a bracketology standpoint, it, it was just, evaluating teams was just so much more difficult because there, there wasn't right. an even amount of games. There wasn't, you know, it, it's in, within some conferences, you don't get an even schedule, even in, even in the right, you know, a normal year, but this, this took it to a whole new level. And it, it was, <laughs> you, you, you try to be as fair in your evaluation as possible, but it didn't, it, it, it almost was impossible to be completely fair because so many different nuances were happening at, at, rap, at, at rapid pace. Uh, so that was the biggest challenge is just trying to do this the right way. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm, I would assume, and I would hope the committee would have the same answer. It was really doing this the right way, really trying to be equitable in a season that just had no, no equality across the board. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> exactly. No. So, no, so that was certainly, no, that was a big challenge because, you know, as yeah. doing what I do, yeah. you, you, you just want to be accurate. You want to be right. Cause your credibility is kind of yeah. on the line every season with, are you doing this the right way? Are you following the steps the right way? Is, are you putting yourself in line the, the way the committee is supposed to be thinking and doing and, and so you want to, you want to be close and, and it was harder to feel like it was, I'll, I'll say this, it was the most anxious selection Monday I've had in a number of years because of that. Wow. I'm, I'm usually, I'm, I'm usually anxious in a good way because it's just right. exciting. Like it's a culmination of all the work is, is finally arrived. This, I, I had two separate buckets of anxiety and, and <laughs> the first one was the fun, the fun anxiety. The second one was like, like I could really have this screwed up and wrong because it was just an impossible year to, to do things the way we normally do things. So, uh, that, so fortunately I came out of it. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I was able you, to suction show, was able did. to kind of take a deep breath. More, more than okay. I mean, your expertise <laughs> shown through Charlie cream as it, as it always does. And let me just close by saying how much on behalf of the college women's basketball community, we appreciate you. Um, because I, I think, everything that you're talking about is extremely challenging and, you know, you do just pour, you know, your heart and soul into um, getting it right, you know, and I, and I do think that um, 
you know, you help not just the basketball community, you help, and you, I know you help the selection committee and, uh, you know, this is a lot of people's livelihoods and, you know, these young women's, you know, dreams. And, and so, so thank you. Thank you for all you do. Thanks for being on today. And, um, hopefully we can get back to normal, uh, next yes. season. Yes. See some games in person. Get out and see some, yes. some Sun Devils for myself. And my live live and in person. Amen. Everybody get their <laughs> vaccines and wear their masks. Woohoo. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. I, I ten times over I echo that sentiment. Yes. All right. Hey, thanks again, Charlie. Absolutely. Anytime. Now, I guess I'd just like to share the biggest thing that I learned this past year. Um, Obviously, very, very challenging. I think it was about who we are. A lot got exposed with less preparation and all the uncertainty. And not, not just with our basketball skills, but our character. And who gave grace and who kept things in perspective. I just like to say, I know we tried and we were always and have been a program that relies on teaching and building elite relationships. These things were very compromised in a COVID world. So I just wanted to say, I'm really proud in a year where our roster was young and not healthy, um, that we kept teaching, um, that we stayed true to our values, continued to mentor. We all know the adage that sports doesn't so much build character as it reveals it. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think in a year like this past one, how did we respond when we did not get what we wanted? I think that says so much to who we are. I'm so appreciative of our staff and our team for responding well through these very, very challenging times, even when we didn't get what we wanted. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of It's My Turn with Charlie Turner Thorne.